Part 2 of A Meditation on the Apostles' Creed by Alan Armstrong. We continue where we left off with words conceived by the Holy Ghost. Apart from its works, the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, is typically unknowable to the secular mind. Yet, all living things are embraced by it before they take on an earthly form. This is alluded to in Genesis 1, verse 2, and I quote, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. End quote. To my mind, this suggests that a blueprint of all living things is received by the Spirit of God before they can be born of nature. Thus the conception by the Holy Ghost of the archetype is the precursor of all living things and may be thought of in two ways. The first is by way of design, such as by interpreting or realising a blueprint or plan. The second is by way of pregnancy, of nurturing and developing an essence, as in a womb. Both are mysteries. They are mysteries that are difficult to fathom without reference to a metaphor, such as Proverbs 8, 23-32, and I quote, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting. From the beginning, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, or the fields, or the primeval dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. End quote. A further reference is as follows. In the Book of the Wisdom of Solomon, Chapter 7, verse 7 to the end, the Spirit of God is depicted in a feminine form, assisting the Creator before the beginning. And I quote, Wherefore I wished, and understanding was given me, and I called upon God, and the Spirit of wisdom came upon me, and I preferred her before kingdoms and thrones, and esteemed riches nothing in comparison of her. Neither did I compare unto her any precious stone, for all gold in comparison of her is as a little sand, and silver in respect to her shall be counted as clay. I loved her above health and beauty, and chose to have her instead of light, for her light cannot be put out. Now all good things came to me together with her, and innumerable riches through her hands, and I rejoiced in all these, for this wisdom went before me and I knew not that she was the mother of them all, which I have learned without guile and communicate without envy, and her riches I hide not. For she is an infinite treasure to men, which they that use become the friends of God, being commended for the gift of discipline 
and God hath given to me to speak as I would, and to conceive thoughts worthy of those things that are given me, because he is the guide of wisdom, and the director of the wise. For in his hands are both we and our words, and all wisdom and knowledge and skill of works. For he hath given me the true knowledge of the things that are, to know the disposition of the whole world and the virtue of the elements, the beginning and endings and the midst of the times, the alteration of their courses and the changes of the seasons, the revolutions of the year and the dispositions of the stars, the natures of living creatures and the rages of wild beasts, the forces of winds and the reasonings of men, the diversities of plants and the virtues of roots, and all such things as are hid and not foreseen I have learned. For wisdom, which is the worker of all things, taught me. For in her is the spirit of understanding. Holy one, manifold, subtle, eloquent, active, undefiled, sure, sweet, loving that which is good, quick, which nothing hindereth, beneficent, gentle, kind, steadfast, assured, secure, and having all power, overseeing all things, and containing all spirits, intelligible, pure, subtle. For wisdom is more active than all active things, and reaches everywhere by reason of her purity. For she is a vapour of the power of God, and a certain pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty God. And therefore, no defiled thing cometh into her, for she is the brightness of eternal light, and the unspotted mirror of God's majesty, and the image of his goodness. And being but one, she can do all things, and remaining in herself the same. She reneweth all things, and through nations conveyeth herself into holy soul. She maketh the friends of God and prophets. For God loveth none but him that dwelleth with wisdom. For she is more beautiful than the sun, and above all the order of the stars. Being compared with the light, she is found before it. For after this cometh night, but no evil can overcome wisdom. End quote. That the Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as described in the aforementioned quotations, indicates that he took the path every mortal creature must follow in taking on a body of flesh, which in the New Testament has been described metaphorically in the narrative describing the virginal conception and birth of Jesus Christ by the Virgin Mary. What then are we to think about the virgin birth and the Virgin Mary? The term virgin generally refers to a person who has yet to engage in sexual congress. It also refers to a person, such as a young man or woman, whose experience of the ways of the world is limited and naive. But is this the meaning suggested by the Bible narrative? I think not. Mary is presented in the narrative as being a young woman betrothed to Joseph, who before they knew each other declares is with child. Joseph was thus minded to put her away, but is informed by an angel to accept what is patently the will of God. The root of the name Joseph is Asaph, which means to gather, to collect, to bring in, or to assemble, which in the narrative suggests a growth in spiritual wisdom, whereas Mary represents spiritual love. In Kabbalistic terms, the perfect combination of Hochmer and Bina when united, that is to say, when married. This, I believe, is closer to the real meaning of the Bible narrative.
In the New Testament, the name Mary is spelt Mariam and occasionally Maria. The meaning of the name Mariam is elusive. Some doctors of the church think it derives from the words for myrrh and light-bearer, whereas Jerome describes it as Stilla Marias, which translates as a drop of the ocean or as a sea of bitterness. Others believe it means Lady of the Sea. In the Latin church, she is called Maria or Mary. See Stirling's Canon, pages 126 to 28, whose etymology, be it Maria, or Mary, or Mariam, is in Latin Mara, which translates as sea or the ocean, and which some believe alludes to Genesis 1, verses 6 to 7. Others think the word derives either from the word myrrh, which is a resin produced by certain trees that is commonly used for healing, but in ancient times was also used to anoint the deceased, while some think the name Mary signifies light-bearer in its association with the moon, which has some merit, but I believe Jerome is closer to the meaning in that allegorically the Virgin Mary is associated with Mara, whose waters were bitter until the Lord sweetened them. See Exodus 15, 23-25, and which has long been linked to the incarnation within Mary's womb, dissolving the bitterness of the fall. See the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 14, regarding the coming Messiah who will be born of a virgin. The passage reads, and I quote, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. End quote. Matthew 1, verse 23, adds that it means God is with or within us, a reference that is open to many interpretations. That Mary should be the mother of God is interesting on many levels. It should be borne in mind that few of our ancestors were literate, even in the middle of 19th century Europe, few people could read and write, and it is still a matter of fact that in parts of the world, many people are still illiterate. Such people learn through pictures, stained glass, songs, and storytelling, some of which are designed to embody many levels of meaning. Thus, the biblical stories of the New Testament were composed from the beginning as narratives with different levels of interpretation depending upon the understanding of the listener. Bearing this in mind, we can think of Mary, whose name suggests the sea or ocean, whose salty or bitter waters reflect the nature of mortal existence, in which the sweet moments of joy and hope are coupled with the salty or bitter waters of pain and suffering, and which ultimately end in death, an end, incidentally, most if not all creatures fear. Mary turns all this on its head with the birth of Jesus Christ, whose incarnation sweetens the unpalatable waters of existence and is linked directly to Exodus 15, 23-25. Thus she is called in Greek Theotokos, the bearer or mother of God. In short, this refers to the Son of God being born of the waters of life and suggests a connection with the ancient Egyptian conception of creation emerging out of the primeval waters of Nun. The name Stella Marias, which means Star of the Sea, was first applied to the Virgin Mary 
in the manuscript tradition of St. Jerome's Latin translation of the Onimasticon. However, this is thought to be a transcription error. The Hebrew name Miriam was first rendered into Greek as Mariam. It was this form that was etymologized by Eusebius. He interpreted Mariam as Ma-Yam, which means drop of the sea, based on Ma, a rare biblical word for drop. St. Jerome adopted this interpretation and translated the name into Latin as Stilla Marias, drop of the sea. But it is believed that at some later stage, a copyist transcribed this into Stella Marias, star of the sea, and this transcription error became widespread. Both of the nouns mor and mor can also mean myrrh, which is a bitter and fragrant spice that was and is still used for healing, and in ancient times was also used to anoint the deceased. It was also used to anoint the tabernacle. Thus, despite its links to words that mostly describe hardship, the oil of myrrh was known as the oil of joy. Thus, the first part of the name Miriam could also be regarded as related to the verb mara, meaning to be bitter, whereas the second part of the name Miriam holds some of the resemblance to the words yam, meaning sea. The name Mary is, then, associated with the sea, and the reference of drop or star of the sea as coincidentally a pre-Christian link with the goddess Venus Aphrodite, who was born of the sea and the foam of it. Concerning which, it is said that when Saturn overthrew his father Uranus, he castrated him, and from the parts that were cut off and thrown into the sea, foam was generated and out of this foam emerged the goddess Venus. Thus from the creative powers of the heavens and the sea was born the goddess of beauty. See an historical account of the heathen gods and heroes by W. King, page 135. Associated with Venus Aphrodite's are the three graces, sometimes called charities. They were the constant attendants of the goddess Venus Aphrodite, their names were Aglea, Thalia, and Europhosine, or else Pasithea, Europhosine, and Egalia, being the daughters of Jupiter, and Euronymia. Others say they were the daughters of Venus and Liber. See King, page 141. Why the Graces are three, and why they are sisters, why they interlock their hands, is explained in Seneca's De Beneficis I by the triple rhythm of generosity which consists of giving, accepting and returning. The three phases must be interlocked in a dance. The circle must never be interrupted. See Pagan Mysteries, Edgar Wind, page 32. The association with giving, accepting and returning has astral connotations, such as in understanding the nature of cardinal fixed and mutable signs. They also have mystical connotations through the natural cycle of empathy and love. Servius knew the Roman graces as a triad of naked figures in symmetrical posture and he also gave a reason for that nakedness. They are naked because graces must be free of deceit. See Wind, page 34. However, according to some writers, the graces were, according to ancient tradition, 
clothed in flowing unhindered robes as befitting their modesty, but in later times were generally depicted as being naked or sparingly clothed. See a classical guide to the ancient world by A. S. Murray, page 175. The Chino traces a circle of divine love through three phases. The first issues from beauty, the second through love, the third via pleasure or joy. The first represents God as a kind of beacon. The second enters the world which it moves to rapture. The third returns to its maker in a state of joy. Venus is often described as wearing a purple mantle, powdered with diamonds and crowned with myrtle, intermixed with roses. See King, pages 134. Whereas, in Revelations 12, verse 1, it states, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. End quote. Not so very different from the Virgin Mary being clothed in blue with a halo of stars or roses. Another old connection is to Isis, a goddess of ancient Egypt, who was said to have conceived her son Horus by magical rather than carnal means. However, although a virginal conception of Horus is debatable, it was undeniably supernatural, if not spiritual. In secular terms, a virgin signified one who has never engaged in sexual congress. In spiritual terms, it signifies a pure or purified soul, which is a symbolic way of representing a soul that has overcome the carnal instincts and cleansing itself of the affairs of the carnal world, and is thereby free to focus on fulfilling the divine will, which is to manifest the divine incarnation, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ which, arguably, also applies to Isis and her son. Whichever way it is spelt, the name Mary is clearly important to this narrative. Indeed, three Marys always used to walk with the Lord. Mary his mother, Mary his sister, and Mary the Magdalene, who is called his companion. Thus Mary is the name of his sister, his mother, and his companion, which is an oblique link to Isis. See the Gospel according to Philip, paragraph 28. As said earlier, the Holy Spirit is by definition not only unknowable to the senses, but also absolutely pure, in that it transcends all duality, by which I mean space, energy and time. The Virgin, Mary, may then be thought of as an analogue of the Holy Spirit, who is known to the Kabbalist as the Holy Shekinah, the Ruach HaKodesh denoting the pure state of being that Mary, a metaphor of the soul, must attain to manifest the presence of the divine. Until Mary achieves that pure state, she is, in Kabbalistic terms, the Shekinah in exile. In the words of Jacob Abelson, in his mystical elements in the Kabbalah, the name Shekinah is said to come from Shakan, which means to dwell. The whole edifice of thought about the Shekinah is based upon passages in the Old Testament, such as, and I quote, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. End quote. See Exodus 25 verse 8. Also, defile ye not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell, 
For I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. See Numbers 35, verse 34. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. See Leviticus 26, verses 11 and 12. It is said that the Shekinah only resides with him who is at once wise, strong, and wealthy. Wise denoting the perfection of spirituality, strong denoting the perfection of the physical faculties, and wealthy standing for the perfection of the moral qualities. See the Babylonian Talmud, Sabbath 92a. Such a task is difficult but not impossible to achieve. The soul will experience many thoughts, feelings and images emerging within itself and overcoming the appetite and desires that drive them is, is the primary objective. Concerning which, the Gospel informs us that John the Baptist baptised people with water and taught them repentance, that they could be purified and spiritually regenerated. This turning away from a life of satisfying animal appetite and desire and orientating their reactive and conditioned nature towards a spiritual way of life is symbolised by the washing away of sin in the waters of baptism. We may be forgiven for thinking that the waters referred to are the waters that are found on earth, but water has its own metaphysical interpretation, and the waters referred to here are the waters of the heavens referred to, as I understand it, in Genesis 1 verses 6-7, to which are signified by the waters of Bina. These transcendent waters, symbolised by the blessed waters of baptism, cleanse the soul from the demands of the carnal nature and enable it to become a purified or virginal soul, which is metaphorically represented by the Virgin Mary, from whom the Son of God, the true self, the Lord Jesus Christ, will emerge. Clearly, the Old Testament teaches of a fall from grace, and the New Testament teaches the way of reattaining that state of grace through the purification of the soul represented by the person of the Virgin Mary. This is very comforting, as it is something that is humanly achievable, as is the realisation of that reunion with God in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, here we must draw to a close part two of my meditation on the Apostles' Creed. Thank you.